Before we look at this passage for today, uh, let's pray together and ask God for his help. Father God, we come before you this evening and we praise you and we thank you for the privilege it is to look at your word, that we can be here. And Father, we ask you for your help. Speak to us through your Holy Spirit, Father, and carry your word into our minds and into our hearts and change us, Father. Illuminate your word to us through your spirit. And Father, we ask this for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. When uh, Christine and I came to Australia nine years ago, um, we came on a working holiday visa. And so to get an extension for that visa, we actually started to work on a farm, which is near Stanford, somewhere out there. And um, every day that farmer, he was sending us out into the, weed, uh, into the field, and we had to do weeding. And I hated it. I hated it because, probably because my parents, they used it as a punishment on me when I was younger, when I was a teenager. Um, but on this farm, this meticulous work of weeding was important to the farmer because he wanted to see his crops grow and he wanted to see the best outcome for the crop. But in our parable today, there's a surprise, right? Because God says, don't do the weeding. No, he says, let the wheat grow together with the wheat. Um, let the righteous grow side by side with the unrighteous, the good next to the evil in this world. But this raises an interesting question, right? Why? Why does God allow this to happen in his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven? I've heard this question so many times before from non-Christians, but also from Christians, especially when they are struggling or going through a hard time. Why doesn't God root out all the evil in this world at once? If he's a loving God, why doesn't he just eliminate dictators who start wars, cause pain and so much suffering in the world? Why doesn't he get rid of all the evil in this world? Well, this is a very complex question, but our passage today gives an answer to it, at least in part. And this answer is really an encouragement and comfort for us as Christians. But it's also a harsh warning for unbelievers. And so today I want to show you from three points why the nature of the kingdom of heaven is an encouragement for Christians. First, because of its humble beginnings. Second, because of the growth even amidst all the evil in the world. And lastly, because there's a fixed destination for all of us. But before we get there, let's have a quick look at the context. Um, this parable, the parable of the weeds, is one of the so-called kingdom parables. And you can see that in chapter 13, um, there are seven parables, and in all of them, Jesus tells the crowds what the kingdom of heaven is like. So imagine the scene. We're standing at the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful morning, and you could see the sea. It's calm, and in the background, you can see the mountain range. And there's a large crowd gathering at the beach, a multitude. 
And they are looking and watching this one man who's just a couple of meters out there in a boat on the shoreline, off the shoreline. It's Jesus in this boat, the same man who preached and performed miracles before, who healed multitudes of their diseases. That's why the crowds are gathering and following him. And it's the same man who started his ministry not too long ago with these words. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And now this Jesus is explaining to the crowds what this kingdom is really like. And among other parables, he tells them this one from verse 24. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner of the servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them together in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. That's our parable for today. And it's followed by two more parables, which we will skip today. But what happens after that, that's somehow somewhat of a surprise, isn't it? Have a, have a look at verse 36. What is Jesus doing next? He just leaves. He dismisses the crowds and goes into a house. I mean, if you were standing in that crowd, wouldn't you want to know the explanation of this parable? Wouldn't you go after Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, what's the explanation? What's the meaning of all this? And that's exactly what his disciples are doing. They are hungry for more. They, they want to know more about God and what his kingdom is like. And remember what Jesus taught them. He said, ask and you shall receive. And so Jesus gives them, the, gives them the explanation of the parable. And we see it in verses 37 to 43. And we have the privilege to have that as well now. So we can now see that the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Jesus' preferred title. The field is the world. The good seeds are literally the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy is the devil. The harvesters are the angels. And the harvest is the end of the ages. So thank God this is recorded for us. So that we have this explanation today. Because Jesus didn't reveal it to everyone. The crowd didn't hear it. But we have this explanation and now we can go back and forth between the illustration of the parable and the explanation of the parable because they both reinforce each other as we will see. And as Christians, we can find comfort and encouragement in this message. Why? Well, firstly, as I said, because how the kingdom of heaven starts. It's a humble beginning. Do you see how it starts in verse 24? It all starts with the man who goes out to sow good seed in his field. 
as we have just seen, that's the Son of Man. It's, by the way, if you want to dig deeper, that's language from the book of Daniel. So the kingdom of heaven starts with Christ. It starts with God who takes on flesh, who breaks into this world, into this field. And note how it says, his field? It's his field, his world that he breaks into. And it has been his from the beginning of time. Christ is Lord of this field. The Father has given all things into his hand. In fact, in Colossians 1, we read, For by him, meaning Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Did you hear that? All things are his. That includes even heaven. He is Lord of it all and he rules it. That's who we follow. We follow the ruler of heaven and earth. How comforting to know is that? And as Christ comes into his world, he, he brought his kingdom of heaven with him. You see, where Christ is, there's also his kingdom. And we can see this all over the Gospels, can't we? We see what, what's, what it's like for people who are in Christ's presence. In his presence, people get healed. Demons and evil are defeated. People get saved from their sins. There's joy and rejoicing in the presence of Christ. Wherever he is, we get a glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven is really like. But I said humble beginnings. So how did Christ break into this world? As a king with power and with an army of angels? Someone who would conquer and destroy all his enemies, all evil at once? No. He came as a baby. Born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He himself came as a seed. Which was announced in Genesis 3 already. You see, the kingdom of heaven started small on this earth. It was so small and insignificant, like the mustard seed, and almost invisible like the yeast of the two parables we are skipping today. But what happens next? The kingdom of heaven starts to grow. Christ starts to sow his seed. And he starts his ministry and proclaims the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. That's what he says. And everyone who obeys his command, follows him and believes in him, becomes good seed. A child of the kingdom of God, of heaven. And notice how every good seed comes from the hand of Christ. Because that's the way into the kingdom. The only way in is through the pierced hands of Christ. It's by God's hands of grace that someone becomes a good seed. That's where all the good seeds come from. God is the fountain of all goodness. So when Christ called his disciples, they followed him. And again, it started very humble, right? It started with only 12 disciples. But they too proclaimed the gospel and the kingdom started to grow. On the day of Pentecost, thousands were converted. And by the fourth century, you can look it up. By the fourth century, 
Christianity became the state religion in the Roman Empire. And today, more than two billion people, that is one in three around the world, call themselves Christians. That doesn't mean they are all Christians, but still it's a, a remarkable growth. And it's encouraging to us because it shows us the power of the gospel penetrating into all the nations. It shows us what Christ said is actually true. Starting with only 12 disciples, the whole world was literally turned upside down. And the kingdom continues to grow. Because you see, Christ isn't finished yet. He's still sowing his seed. And even today, there are angels in heaven rejoicing about repentant believers, people who are converted. And so be encouraged by the humble beginnings of the kingdom of heaven. Read about it in your Bibles and see the fulfillment of it because you can see the growth of the kingdom of heaven in the past. And um, when you became a Christian, you actually became part of this history. You became part of this vast and expanding kingdom. It's really a comforting message, isn't it? Because we can see God at work. But we all know that God's kingdom doesn't grow without opposition, right? And this brings us to our second point for today. Growth even amidst all the evil in the world. Because in the parable, suddenly what happens next? Suddenly the devil enters the scene, right? He comes out of nowhere and sows his seed, the sons of the evil one. And these weeds in the parable, they're they actually called what's called darnel. Um, darnel, they are weeds, but they have poison in them. If you eat them, you could literally die. And what makes it worse, in their early stage of growing, they look like wheat. They look like the good crop. You see, the devil is sowing confusion. So he would confuse us to see evil for what is actually good and the other way around. That's why he's called the deceiver. But there's more we learn about the devil in this passage. Look at verse 25. He comes during the night when everyone sleeps. He sows his poison and then he leaves. Not only does he try to damage God's kingdom, but he makes it look as if it was Christ. Do you realize that? Remember, no one has seen the devil. And his poison, his sons, they look like we, they look like Christians in the beginning. But it's only in the beginning that they look alike because once Darnell grows up, it can be easily distinguished from the good crop. It can be distinguished as soon as the fruits appear. And remember, Jesus said, by their fruits, you should know them. And that's what we see in verse 26. When the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared, or literally, they became visible. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you grow or sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? See how they are going to the owner of the field to ask this question? They go to Christ and ask where the weeds come from. Isn't that the question that 
we ask when we ask, where does evil come from? Why does God allow evil? Why are there evil people in this world even if God is a good God? Aren't these questions pointing the finger at God? Isn't that what the devil wants us to do? But have a look what Christ's response is. He says, an enemy did this. And he identifies the enemy as the devil. You see, God is not the author of evil. God is sowing the good seed. The devil is the one who sows evil. It's even in his name. Did you realize it's like the evil devil? At least in English. But um, the devil does it while everyone was sleeping. While everyone was most vulnerable. Except Christ. Because he knows about him. He is the owner of the field. He points the devil out. He's all-knowing. He knows what the devil did and what he will do in the future. He knows all the plans of the devil. It's no surprise to him. No, God is not surprised by the devil. God is sovereign over the devil. But you still might ask, why does he allow the devil to work then? Why does he allow the unrighteous to grow side by side with righteous, evil side by side with good? Well, have a look at verse 28. The servants ask him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the weed with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. God says, no, don't do the weeding because you might destroy the good crop. You see, God is protecting his people from being uprooted. The roots of good and evil, they are side by side. They're intertwined in this world. And it's because it's God's plan that this is so. And you see it everywhere in the world. Why do you, I mean... You see it in your working place, you see it in schools, you see it in sports clubs, even see it in church. Because you see Christians sitting in the pews next to non-Christians. And churches in general, you have faithful gospel preaching churches, but you also have unfaithful churches. You even have cults who are mocking Christ. But God is not surprised by that. God knows about all that, and he permits it for the sake of his people. You remember Joseph and his brothers in Genesis who wanted to kill Joseph? And how he said to them at the end, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You see, by permitting evil to exist, God is working for the good of his people. Um, Augustine, the great... Um, theologian and church father, he once said, those who are weeds today might become wheat tomorrow. Think about it. At one stage, everyone in this room, you and I, we were all sons of the devil. We were all enemies of God at one stage. But somehow, you had a connection to a Christian. Somehow, you, your roots were connected Somehow there was a connection to the gospel and to God's kingdom. A connection to Christ who would save you out of the hands of the devil and who would put you into his hands of grace, calling you into his kingdom of heaven. 
But imagine Christ came back five years ago, 20 years ago, or 50 years ago, and he would make an end to all the evil. Were you a Christian back then? I wasn't. And I think most of us would be in hell then. Or imagine Christ comes back today. Are you a Christian today? And if so, where would your children be? Where would your grandchildren be? You see, God allows evil in this world because there are still weeds that he will turn into wheat. So we have sowing, we have growing, but thank God we have no mowing yet. And just as a side note, remember, the owner of the field says to his servants, they are not to do the weeding. It's not our job. We are not the judge of this world as Christians. We are not here to purge the world of all evil or to bring justice. That's God's job. Because we can't even discern what's good and what's evil. We will uproot the good seed. We would be wrong and do harm. That's why Christ hands this job over to the angels. Like we said before, they are rejoicing about every repentant believer in heaven. They know who the elect are. We don't. So what are we to do then? Well, we are to grow. Christ is sowing his seed with the intention of growth, with the intention to see good fruit from us. And we have seen in the Sermon on the Mount recently, we ought to be lights in this world by how we live, by how we speak, how we interact with this world. We, we ought to point people to Christ. Our roots are intertwined with this world because even though we are not of the world, we're still in the world. And this might not be easy at times. I mean, I struggle with this. Most of my family, I mean, they are non-Christians, right? They are filled with non-Christians. But you see, our passage today reminds me that I have roots with them and that these roots are intertwined. Christ has planted me next to them in his field. So I'm at least one connection they have to the gospel, to the kingdom, and to Christ. And in their case, it's probably the only connection that there is. Um, so let me ask you, what are your roots like in this world? Where has Christ planted you in his field? Is there someone close to you in the field that you could point to Christ? Especially with Easter coming up? Have you prayed about it? Because some of these roots, some of these connections, they might not even be so obvious to you, but you can pray to God that he will reveal them to you and that he will give you the courage, the boldness, the words, and the training that you need to speak to that person. And so whether it's numerical growth of the kingdom or whether it's your own growth and maturity within the kingdom, we always need to remember one thing. Growth takes time. And it's not our timing. It's in God's timing. So what we need is patience. Because ultimately it's God who will turn weeds into wheat. So be encouraged because even amidst all the evil in this world, God is working everything for good. For those who love him, and for those who are called according to his purpose. Be encouraged because God knows about the evil in this world. 
He sent his son to die for you. He knows what pain is, what evil is. And he's not surprised about it right now. Because God is sovereign over it. So as we have seen, we can be encouraged by looking at the humble beginnings of the kingdom. We can be encouraged by seeing that it still continues to grow even amidst all the evil in the world. But we can also be assured that evil has an expiry date. At the moment, evil might grow side by side with good, but it won't exist forever. Because God has already set a date for the harvest, the judgment, the, great of this, the day of the great separation. A time when the weeds and the wheat will be separated forever. Which brings us to our last point for today. Be encouraged because the kingdom of heaven has a final and fixed destination for all of us. Because have a look how the parable ends. In verse 30, Christ says, Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And Jesus explains us to us the meaning in verse 41. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin. And all who do evil, they will be thrown into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's not very encouraging, is it? But let's stop here for a moment because that's the first destination. That's a fixed destination for the weeds, for the sons of the evil one. But it's outside of the kingdom of heaven. It's in hell. And it's a disturbing and sad image, isn't it? A place where the hot anger of God burns and it's kindled by all, against all the wicked. It's the total absence of God's grace. Not of God, but of God's grace. Because the wrath of God is burning. And it's fueled by the bundles of wheat thrown into it. It's burning, but never consuming. It's an everlasting conscious punishment. That's what hell is. But it's not without reason that hell is filling up even today. Note how it says, all who do evil will go there. That's the present tense. Those who are thrown into hell, into hell, they rebel against God, even up to the end. They are rebels all the way, even to the judgment day. You know, C.S. Lewis once said, the doors of hell are actually locked from the inside. You see, people who are in hell, they are still angry with God. The weeping and gnashing of teeth, these are not signs of remorse or repentance. They are signs of anguish, yes. But they are also signs of self-pity and of everlasting anger against God. You see, this parable is definitely not an encouragement for unbelievers. For them, it's a huge warning sign. And so if that's you today, let me tell you the reason why Jesus is the person who talks most about hell in the Bible. He does that because he's the most loving. He's the one with the most compassion. Jesus doesn't say all that 
to scare you into heaven. Now he says it because he knows that hell is a reality. He doesn't make fun about it. And he calls you to himself. That's why Jesus says at the end of our passage, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Recently, I had a lovely lady coming up to me, um, and she told me an encouraging testimony of hers. It all started with a Bible study years ago, and the gospel was faithfully taught in that Bible study. But the turning point for her was when the study leader said to all of them, you're either a servant of the devil or you're a servant of Christ. And that's so true, isn't it? There's no neutral ground in between. There's no sitting on the fences. That's why Spurgeon, when he preached on this very parable, he urged his people and he said, don't be like the wheat, but be the wheat. Don't pretend to be the wheat, but be the good seed. And someone else once said, I mean, <clears throat> Hell is the highest reward that the devil can offer you for being a servant of his. Think about it, that's true. The devil offers us nothing. He will be thrown into hell at the end of all ages himself. So listen to Christ and turn to Christ. Repent and ask him to save you. And I promise you he will listen and he will embrace you with open arms. And if you want to chat more about that today, just come to me or come to Steve after the service. The devil has nothing to offer, but think about what Christ has to offer for us. Look at our fixed destination as Christians. Look at verse 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. That's our fixed destination. It's a glorious picture of reunion. The son of man who sows the sons of the kingdom. And in God's timing, he will unite them with their father in heaven. That's where we are going. That's God's plan for us for all eternity. Just imagine the multitude of saints we will be meeting there. And how we will sing in choirs with the angels praising God together. You will be able to speak to Moses, to Paul, to Peter. Even the reformers like Luther and Calvin, they will be there. And this morning I said, I want to ask them questions about my essay. But then someone came up and he said to me, you probably won't do that because you won't think about that in heaven. And he's, that's true. Because first and foremost, the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of heaven because Christ is there. And we are not walking by faith alone anymore, but we are walking by sight then. We will see him face to face. You think Christ's earthly ministry was great? The healing and the miracles? That's only a glimpse of what heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven. Multiply that by infinity and you'll get an idea of where we are going. We will be glorified. We'll get new bodies. There will be no pain, no tears, no evil, no sin anymore. But we will be shining like the sun 
reflecting God's glory into all eternity. What an awesome place this will be. So be encouraged because we have a fixed destination and we know where we are going. Christ is leading us into the open arms of our Heavenly Father. So to close, let me reiterate that as we have seen, we can be encouraged by this passage. But let's not stop there. Because Christ wants us to shift our focus. With this parable, he says, look up. Up from this world, away from this world and towards heaven. The parable started with the field, with this broken world, where evil and good are side by side. But it ends with the barn. It ends with heaven. So Christ wants us to live for the world to come. To seek his kingdom first in everything we do. Like the crops in the parable, he wants us to look up. He wants us to grow upwards and lift our fruits towards our maker. And while we're doing this, we're waiting patiently for the harvest. And while we're waiting, we're preaching the gospel to others. We're pointing them to Christ. And we pray that God will save many by his grace from the fire and that he will fill up heaven. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these encouraging words tonight. But now help us to be the wheat. Help us to look upward to heaven and help us to grow by your grace. Father, produce fruits in us and help us to point others to Christ. So that by your grace, many may be plucked out of the fire. And that heaven will be filled up. Father, we also pray, deliver us from the evil one. For it's not his, but it's your kingdom, your power, and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.